This is not a view of any particular law enforcement entity or government body. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Hi, welcome to Beyond the Cuffs, a bi-weekly podcast where two former law enforcement officials talk about old cases from around the country. Hey guys, welcome back to Beyond the Cuffs. This is the second part of the two-part series of Ricky Brown. And in this episode, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the investigation. And this will be the season one finale of Beyond the Cuffs. So we're going to obviously record some more episodes and get into season two in the following weeks. So stay tuned for that as well. We appreciate you guys and all the support you've given us throughout this run. We really like how things went, and we are excited to say that we're going to have a season two. But before we have a season two, we have to finish the two-part series of Ricky Brown and his investigation. So I guess, Scott, what we're going to do, we're going to break this down. We'll talk more so of the family and the private investigators investigation first and then go into law enforcement. I'll let you take off with it and we'll go from there. Yeah. Just keep in mind, everybody, the, the names of all the players in this episode are going to be changed as per request by the family. So we definitely don't want to mess up anything as far as the investigations concerned too. So, so we're going to go back to June 27th, 2019 and detail the events of that day. And as the, the day starts at around 5.30, Ricky calls Tina to report that his house was on fire. And it was alleged that the house caught on fire due to a lightning strike. But as Zach and I were down there looking around with a couple of the family members, we looked on the outside of the house and there was nothing that indicated a, a lightning strike. Now, I'm not a fire marshal. I, I don't claim to be a, you know, an expert in fire investigation, but you would think a, a lightning strike on a house, especially a white house like that was, you would see something that indicated a strike. You would think too, maybe not necessarily initially, but given the circumstance that unfolded afterwards that you would call the fire marshal in just to rule arson out doesn't happen in this incident. Right. Yeah, they, they made... I believe uh, some of the family members had called a fire marshal, but I don't think they came out um, later yeah. on. So, so around 6.30, a neighbor by the name of Judy sees the fire department rolling up on Ricky's house while getting her grandson, Red, up for work that morning. For everybody listening right now, it's going to be kind of hard to digest at times. There's not a too terrible amount of information that we hear it beyond the cuffs have to go off of. So we're going to be giving a lot of information based off a timeline provided for us. So if at any time it kind of sounds really cut and dry, we do apologize, but honestly, that's all we really have at this time. So at 6.36 AM, Abby calls her friend to tell her about the fire. And it should be noted that uh, the Abby doesn't live quite near where the fire happened. Um, she's just a, uh, We'll call her a concerned citizen at this point. But at 7.02 that same morning, Red says he's leaving for work and gets a phone call right after leaving telling him about the fire, which I think is kind of weird that uh, that his grandma Judy didn't say anything about it while she was getting him ready for work. Exactly. You know, there's already a little bit of a discrepancy with old Red and Judy 
I'm not going to look too far into anything right now, but it's already a little uh, going to squint my eyes now because there's that discrepancy that we've picked up on. Right. At some point, Tina had made her way to Ricky's house and had to leave around 9 a.m. to go to work. So around 10.20 a.m., Abby's friend calls Tina to talk about the fire, talk about Ricky. We're not really sure at this point, but at around noon, at around noon, Tina gets off work and goes back to Ricky's house to meet up with him again. Shortly thereafter, Tina drives Ricky to the air base to apply for some housing, some low-income housing over there, and then takes Ricky by her work. Yeah, so around two or three, Tina goes to Mickey D's to get Ricky some food. And I'm sure he's stressed at this point, right? Like his house just caught on fire. He's not really knowing what to do. Just trying to uh, decompress and, and, and chill out for a little bit. And comfort food, basically. Exactly. Um, so during that time, about 2.30, Red gets off work and goes home. It's not really of anything right now but it'll make more sense later on but i really wanted to get that point across that at 2 30 he got off work and went home and at about three o'clock he goes and sees ricky at his home so ricky's made his way home by now yep sounds like tina got him some food kind of got him comforted calmed down a little bit decompressed took him back to his house and then he's seen so now we're kind of late in the evening around four and five and a neighbor of Ricky's, Judy, speaks with him and, and he tells Judy that he could probably just go live in the woods. Why he said that, we're not really totally sure, but. Well, heck, at this point, I guess he thinks, well, hell, my house is gone. What else could I do? Yeah. It's a little bit concerning, though. It me, is. Like, why would you tell somebody you could go live in the woods? Yeah, it stands out to me. It's pretty concerning. Yeah. Sometime around the same time that Ricky speaks with Judy. Red comes over or walks over to, to Ricky's house and speaks with him for a little bit and notices that Ricky's phone, his medicine, and his hat are all sitting in a plastic chair on the front porch. Pretty specific. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, the reason why this is mentioned will be of an importance later, but when you're just going to go shoot the shit with somebody or talk to somebody, I don't really, you know, I don't pay that close to attention, you know, to what's all immediately around them or in their area, unless it's somebody that I really don't trust and I'm watching their hands or something. That's a totally different scenario, but I, it's a pretty keen level of detail. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I don't really, like you said, I, I don't usually detail what somebody's got sitting right next to them unless I'm actively watching them for something. But for Red to pick that out as item, you know, sitting right next to him and then detail those later on, I would say that's pretty important. Definitely. So around 6.30, Red leaves and goes back to his mother's house and says he's gone for about one or two hours, which I guess matches up with the timeline. So about 30 minutes after that, Abby says Ricky arrives at her home and he's demanding to see Walter they don't really know what's going on he just he won't expand on any of it he just he really needs to see Walter and he's kind of in an excited state yeah and and Abby calls Judy 
to to tell her to, to watch for Ricky and that he's heading back home. So, you know, why why would he show up demanding Walt and then Abby called Judy saying that Ricky's heading back home and to watch for him? Yeah, so a lot happens here in a matter of about 10 minutes. You have Ricky showing up at Abby and Walter's house demanding to see Walter. Walter's not home at this point. He's been, uh, according to what he's provided statement-wise, he was with his friend Doug fishing. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and kind of dive into it. Something about this fishing story, uh, it stinks like a fish. We'll just put it like that. We'll make it cheesy. So it it was reported that for about eight days leading up to this point, uh, there had been quite a bit of rain in the, the local fishing hole where these gentlemen said they were was pretty flooded um and the whole they were fishing all day but it was flooded it's really hard to to buy that story for the ones that looked into this investigation from the private investigator side yeah also we you know zach and i looked to or tried to look for weather history in that area at that time and we couldn't find anything detailing rain so we're just going to have to go with the private investigators word on that right so fishing story aside still within this 10 minute period red gets home and that's when abby calls him and calls judy and says hey watch for ricky so at this point abby's really concerned about ricky because she has called and said hey keep an eye out on him and statements from red and judy kind of add up saying the same thing and around 7.30 to 7.45, not really quite sure, Judy says that Ricky was sitting on his front porch and that she heard him coughing heavily, probably due to the smoke and the, the fire, you know, from that morning. We we're not really sure. Um, but she did mention and specifically mention that he was alone at that time. And around 8 p.m., Judy said that Walt and her grandson go to Ricky's house and they can't find him. So around, what, 15 minutes later, now they can't find him? Yeah, they can't find I'm, I'm squinting my eyes right now. I know you can't see me. I know our listeners can't see me, but I am really squinting really hard because she makes it a point to say he was alone. But she doesn't know that because she didn't even see him. She heard him. Right. So now she's saying, you know, and then Walter and Red – go 15 minutes later can't find them and there is a lot of background here between walter and red and ricky that we're not going to get into just because we don't want to mess up anything going on with the case but there's a there was quite a bit of friction that we're not going to be able to report on um and factoring in what i know about that i'm really scratching the old chin and thinking hmm yeah i know there was some uh possibly some bad blood between Walter and Ricky over like a lawnmower, maybe a couple other power tools, this and that. Starts to add up. It does. And let's back up a little bit to around 7.36 p.m. And Abby calls her friend again. And it should be noted that right after that call, that same friend calls Tina to tell her about Ricky and her phone call with Abby. So why wouldn't Abby just call tina directly to tell her why'd she have to call her friend you know to gossip or whatever and then that friend then call tina 
Yeah, that that's pretty shady to me. I don't like how that looks. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just it's really stinking. Still, it still smells like that fish from earlier. Yeah, for sure. And then around, I'd say around seven forty-five, Walt and his buddy get back from fishing, and they go to Ricky's house and say they can't find him. And then Walt says that Ricky's cell phone and change were sitting in the chair. So back to what Red said, you know, he he mentioned specific items sitting in a plastic chair. Now Walt is then saying he sees his cell phone and some change sitting in that in that chair on the front porch. And I just want to, once again, I'm doing a little foreshadowing, but I want to reiterate: cell phone and change in the chair, cell phone and change. Yeah, let's think about that rationally, right? Like, in today's day and age, who leaves their cell phone just laying around when they go off walking somewhere? Hardly anybody, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, I'm not saying that Ricky was, like, absolutely tied to a cell phone, but you would think if he was going to leave his house, he would probably take a cell phone with him. Maybe not the change, because he may have had, you know, a couple dollars in his wallet, but definitely going to take the cell phone. You would think, and... You know, he may not have been thinking the clearest either, given the traumatic day that he's had, but I still would like to think that if he knew he was going to be going somewhere, he would take that cell phone with him at least. Sure. And then also around 8 p.m., Tina's stated she called Abby's friend to tell her she just went by Ricky's and said she couldn't find him. She also stated that she took Ricky's phone and the change that was sitting on the chair by the front door which is kind of weird, right? Like Walt had just went over there, said he he couldn't find Ricky and seen the cell phone and the change sitting in the chair. And now Tina went over there around 15 minutes later and she also can't find Ricky. So Ricky's gone at this point, but she does take the cell phone and change that were sitting in the chair. Well, she didn't want to leave it left out, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that is her, uh, you know, her, some of her family so she's probably gonna take it to make sure nobody comes by and, and steals it it definitely sticks out about eight fifteen to 9 p.m walter and abby go back down to ricky's house but um when they get there ricky's not there and red but red is there and i guess they form this little three-man search party and look for ricky but can't find him anywhere on the property Yeah, and at that same time, you know, around 8.30, Judy says that Red called the police around 8. At this point, why would you contact the police? Um, There's not, aside from the fire, there's in a little bit of excitement that, you know, Red's not even involved at this point. It was Abby and Walter, and I mean, Judy knew because they contacted her, but why would you call the police at this point? What what makes you think something is bad enough to contact law enforcement? I, I don't see the foundation on which they're standing at this point to call the police unless they've known something that we do not. Just, I'm going to throw that out there. I think you're on the right track, but I also think that why would somebody that's not family call the police on a you know to report a missing person just because he's not there for a couple of hours exactly it's just it's not adding up for me right now no but 
Also, it should be noted that due to the timeline of police records, at 10.04 p.m., the Malden police were contacted by Red stating, you know, Ricky's missing. So he, instead of calling it, yeah, instead of calling it 8 p.m., he calls it a little over two hours later. Yeah, we're looking at like an hour and a half discrepancy, at least minimum. Absolutely. I don't know. It's just a big red flag for me. Sure. About six minutes later, law enforcement arrive, and according to Red, he says they only took about 15 minutes from the time he called to arrive. Red said when the police got there, they located Ricky's wallet, his hat, and a few pill bottles in the chair by the front door where the phone and the change were at whenever Tina was there at 8 p.m. So the hat and you know the the medicine he had mentioned way earlier is now back here and so is his wallet i feel like if tina was there and was taking stuff for safekeeping if those items were in the open she would have definitely at least taken the wallet and i would assume the medication for sure um right and if you guys can remember back to the first episode ricky didn't go anywhere without that hat He may have gone somewhere without a cell phone, but he's not going anywhere without that hat. So it was around this time as well. Walter and Abby go back down to Ricky's house because they see the police there and they kind of just want to see what's up and see if they can help, see what's going on. Uh, There was an officer with the Malden Police Department um, who responded and says that he did locate Ricky's wallet and a few pill bottles at the entrance to Ricky's house sitting in the chair. However, this... It's kind of a toss-up in the air. Ever since this has been said, some say the officer did locate it, opened it up, looked at it, checked it out. Supposedly, Red pointed it out, saying that was Ricky's wallet. But whenever I was there with the police department, and they had the records and was talking to me, and I was asking them questions, there was nothing in any police report that the police department had that indicated Ricky's wallet was there and examined or even just there. So I really don't know what to think about that part. Yeah. And as, as an officer, right? Like on, especially on a missing person report, you're going to collect that when you, when you find it, you're not just going to leave it there. If it's actually his wallet, you're going to collect that, put in the evidence because that, that then creates some sort of timeline or, a, you know, a beginning of timeline that you can utilize to investigate that and at the very least it's his wallet i'm sure it had um, a driver's license a social security card money debit devices you would at least like to put that in safekeeping and then you know say they just went to the store went out with a buddy and everything it was just a matter of happen chance well okay just come to the police department sign here get your property back we didn't want nobody to take it because it was out in the open right around 10 35 that same evening According to Red, the police were only there for about 20 minutes and then they left. I'm not, I'm not here to dog that, you know, 20 minute timeline, but we also know that Red might not be as, uh, truthful as he comes across. I always have a hard time believing word of mouth timelines. If it's not backed up by timestamp or video footage, I'm always going to give or take 30 minutes to an hour. Right. I've been on plenty of calls where it seems like you're only there for five minutes, but you get back in your patrol car and you've been there for like an hour and a half. Yeah. Time will elude you. And 
sometimes, especially when it's a, a a pretty stressful scenario or a traumatic scenario. And, you know, for this area, it's been a traumatic day. First the fire, now all this, you know, your mind's at this heightened state and heightened sense. You're not going to process time appropriately anyway. Yeah. I'm not saying it can't be done, but more than likely you're, you're running on all that adrenaline and whatnot. So it can definitely make time elude you. Sure. And then we'll wrap up the day here around 10.42 p.m. Tina calls her friend and tells her she's back at her house after searching for Ricky since around 8 p.m. that night. So Tina has been the only one searching for Ricky since 8 when then, you know, at that time she couldn't find him and sees all that stuff sitting in the chair. So that concludes the private investigator and the family's initial kind of investigation. Now, this was a really brief summary of a timeline that the private investigators worked really hard interviewing people and kind of condensed down for us. There was a lot of information we did leave out due to the investigation being active. Um, And before we really get onto the law enforcement side of it, is there any type of summary or any way you're kind of leaning after seeing this evidence as far as private investigators concerned? Um, Just with the evidence right here, this timeline with everything that's been said makes it seem like Ricky just walked off, left all the stuff. But from the the stuff that, that you and I know from behind the scenes that we, you know, unfortunately can't discuss, it almost seems like somebody took Ricky off to, you know, do whatever, kill him, just keep his mouth shut, who knows. It's definitely a tricky situation, and you don't want to throw the word conspiracy out there, but there's multiple. I I could sit down with you, the private investigator, and members of the family, and we could probably tell you, or we could we could probably have a conversation. And by the end of it, within 20 minutes, we could think of a minimum of four different possibilities that happen. Mm-hmm. And that's the frustrating part of this is all this work is being done and put forth by the family. And it's really a strong feeling that there's not a matched effort on the law enforcement side, because at this point they just would like to have Ricky home, would like to be at peace and be able to give him a proper send off. Um, they're not even too 100 percent concerned at this point of making an arrest or anything they just want him home so and they just feel like that level of efforts not being met if that makes much sense yeah for sure and and i you know like like you said we can theorize all day long what happened but to me i I don't think this was a blunder on the officers in the field I, I think they, you know, they've done their best with what they had in, in, in drawing up a report. However, the the powers that be, the admin at that at that time, not currently at that time, uh, for whatever reason, didn't really seem like they wanted this investigated. I don't know why. I don't I don't know that particular admin, so I can't comment on why. But it, it also seemed like they were just really shady around this whole thing. You know, like. Yeah, so if they're not, if they 
the admin doesn't want the investigation to continue, you, you have to wonder why. Like, why wouldn't a police department want to get to the bottom of a missing person case? Uh, now, like we said in the in the first episode, you know, Ricky wasn't a quote unquote model citizen by any means, but he was still a person. You know, his family, his family still wants him found, just like you or my family would want us found if something happened to us. And this is definitely not a rip on the police because that's not who we are here. But we're going to give credit where it's due and mention anything that's worth mentioning. With that being said, Malden has a new police chief, um, a well-seasoned officer, um, and he has assigned one of his patrolmen to this case. Malden doesn't have a detective's division, so it falls on individual patrolmen to uh, look into investigations and investigate. Um, So they put Officer Vichy... I hope I said your name right, bro. I'm sorry if I didn't on the case. Um, He is an 11-year law enforcement veteran. He's also a Marine Corps veteran, and we thank him for his service. And he's an outside-looking-in kind of guy. He was not with this particular department whenever this case first came about. Um, He joined much later, and I believe he got this case the 2nd of July of 2021 last year and has that fresh eyes approach. I asked him, you know, what that was like from his perspective to get a case like this, that there's so much going on, but yet there's so little at the same time by way of evidence and what you can do. And he was really adamant that, you know, he he doesn't know a lot as far as everything initially because he wasn't here, he just knows what he has to fall back on and that's documents call cards reports and things of that nature and he was also very adamant in saying that the police department did conduct an investigation they did search for ricky the missouri state highway patrol division of drug and crime control was contacted helicopters were launched uh, horseback searches were conducted abandoned houses numerous ones were checked and he plans to continue the investigation by talking to people. He's already spoke with some people that we have mentioned and continuing to talk with people. You know, unfortunately, when you look at the law enforcement side of it, there's a much more, I guess, depressing way you're going to have to look at it and things you're going to have to consider. You know, the statement of, well, I'm just going to go off and live in the woods. Um, something that's being considered is, he was in a depressive state after this moment and even though Ricky really couldn't get around too good he went off somewhere and committed suicide you know we were there at the house searching and they had mentioned to us and we actually seen it there was guns that were missing from his home and so that's a that's a theory that law enforcement's working and looking into but uh, uh, Officer Vichy's really tackling this um, and doing the best that he can given what he's got because like I said there's not a lot of evidence it's not like you know a forgery case where you go to the bank get the video and see the person on camera and oh you got him you know he's playing with three four-year-old statements that people's passed through uh, police reports and 
I've seen some reports that are extremely detailed, but the majority of police reports are not detailed. It just depends on the officer at the time. So he's been given a very difficult task, but he has the support of his police chief, which is so crucial because when you got the top dog saying, I don't like having anybody missing, we're going to do what we can. That gives me hope that there is going to be a big push in this investigation to get done what needs to be done for sure i don't think i like the the suicide theory um even though there's a you know missing firearm from ricky's bedroom that we we seen when we were down there investigating um the box is there gun's not there uh i don't really buy that i think maybe that gun was stolen later after the fact you know obviously ricky's not there to, to watch his house at this point so I, i'm not too keen on the fact that he's just gonna just because his house catches on fire he's gonna go out and, and off himself when he's got family that lives like really close to him in this the same neighborhood so absolutely and the 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 other point to that is if he's going to go out and, and commit suicide I would have a hard time believing he's going to walk super far. I mean, there's a bean field right in front of his house. Uh, and at the, you know, at that timeline, there, there's going to be, I would say, a, a decent crop growing, at, you know, in that field. So the the woods to, to his house are a pretty good walk away if he's going to walk there. Uh, but there again, you know, we they've had multiple search parties. It seems like every... Every year they get together and do, you know, another search. That's uh, you, you got to think at, at that point, somebody would would have found something. Uh, a piece of clothing, the firearm, a shell casing, you know, uh, the body. I mean, who knows? You, you would think that after, what, three years, somebody would have found something. Absolutely. And I know this officer he plans on working with the family and going back into the home and looking um i brought up the luminol uh, that the private investigator did and we spoke about that briefly and the police department's stance on that is once you have used luminol in a particular area you're you can't do it again so i don't know i know luminol can be pretty destructive as far as evidence collection goes because it can you know it that chemical reaction and all that but as far as luminol uh conversation goes that's the police department's stance on it so you know there was some stuff that i was able to tell him that he wasn't really aware of by way of the last time he looked at the house the house was completely secured well when you and i were there the back was not secure and it was obvious that someone's coming in and it looks like someone was sleeping in his bed as sinister as that sounds so yeah, and you, you remember when we were in the kitchen, right, looking around, and that's where the bulk majority of the fire damage was. There were dishes, plastic dishes, in the sink that weren't burnt or charred or anything where other dishes were. So it's almost like somebody's been in that house, not to mention that broken piece of glass that was seemingly just laid down instead of broken all over the place yeah it's just somebody somebody's been in that house since i mean uh, 
since it's been abandoned, I, I would say people are in there all the time. 100%. 100%. I'm fully confident, though, with, you know, the guys in charge of this police department now from the chief all the way down to the lowly patrolman. I really feel like they got a good crew there right now and they got really good a really good officer dedicated to it and I feel like strides will be made. I'm not saying, you know, it, it may never be solved, but I know the effort's going to be there. You know, the family has felt for a while that the effort wasn't there, but I know the effort will be there with, you know, at this current time. And, you know, something else we discussed uh when I was speaking with the officer, I brought up the fact that, um, you know, both both him and Ricky were veterans. And that was something to, you know, you tap into that brotherhood veteran to veteran. Um, there's that deep desire to always do right by your fellow veterans. So the the playing cards are there as far as everything needing to be done and or everything being lined up to be done. And now it's just a matter of things falling into place so the investigation can work out to the best of its ability and that's just gonna depend on the investigation itself obviously we can't talk about the investigation because we're not the ones conducting it but, but you kind of know where i'm going with it absolutely and I, I think it's important to to mention to our, our listeners here that the the family by and large I, I think they've come to terms with ricky's probably not alive anymore and when I say they've come to terms with it, I, I mean, they, they're okay with the investigation concluding that, Hey, we've, we found his, his body. You know, this is what happened. They're, they're okay with that right now. They're, they're not expecting Ricky to just come walking back through the door at any moment. They're, they're kind of just wanting something to be found, whatever that might be. Absolutely. And unfortunately we do not have a, an ending at this point which is not necessarily a bad thing obviously something bad has happened but not having an ending means that there is still a possibility that it's going to be solved at some point it's not written off it's not thrown in a code case file never going to be looked at again it is actively being looked into and if you have any information pertaining to ricky or this case or you think you know something contact either the Malden Police Department in Malden, Missouri or the Missouri State Highway Patrol and get that information to those who can do something with it. Yeah, even if it, it might be something you think isn't a big deal, could very well break this case wide open. So that concludes the second episode of the Ricky Brown case. Uh, we do really appreciate the, the family's cooperation in this and the Malden Police Department's cooperation in this. Um, stay tuned for season two. Uh, we're, we're constantly looking for new ideas. So again, if you guys have any ideas on cases you want us to cover, please send us a, a message on Facebook or you know reach out to us personally if you guys know us. Absolutely. And with that being said, guys, appreciate you guys for sticking it out with us for season one. We know we had a lot of growing pains on the editing end and everything in general, just figuring it out. But we really love what we're doing here at beyond the cuffs and we still want to continue to do this for a long while some shout outs i'd like to give i'd like to thank my family i'd like to thank ashley for putting up with me helping me with the editing and the proofing and the researching and the fact checking i'd like to thank my in-laws and my family for all their support and thank you for tuning in to beyond the cuffs 
and we'll we'll see you all in season two